my name's John, um, and um, happy Mother's Day, by the way. Congratulations to all the mums out there. For me, um, Mother's Day is a day when, when I sort of mi I miss my mum because she's not around anymore. But for the last few years, it's become a day where I've become super grateful for the super mum in our household. That's my wife, Abby. Um, I'm just constantly in awe of her, and in particular, the way that she can just handle the intensity of our kids. Um, in a way that I can't. I don't know if anybody here has got any intense kids who are just in your face all the time. They've got no perception of what is an appropriate volume level when they're talking to you. They have no understanding of what is and isn't a good time. Everything must happen now. And um, they have no concept of personal space. You know the way little kids, they just, they, they, that's, that's how close they want to be. They're full on. And, and Abby... And I think mums in general can just handle this better than dads. Um, I know that's kind of a bit of a sort of old-fashioned thing to say, not very politically correct, but we can probably get away with it because it is Mother's Day. Um, but um, a case-in-point example of how mums just have this extra level of grace um, was, I remember when, we were, when our little girl was really little, um, during the night, her, her nose was getting blocked when she had a cold, and it kept waking her up. And I remember Abby asking one of her more experienced mum friends, like, what do you do in that situation? And this lady said, oh, I just, I just suck the blockage out of there. <laughs> and uh, I know that's a gross picture. Apologize for that. Um, but I mention it because, A, that's exactly why we should have Mother's Day, because there's some acts of love that only a mother will do. But also, um, because in a strange way, it reminds me of of the level of connection and intimacy that I think we're designed to have with God. It's a picture of that for me. To explain myself, if you, if you get a Bible and you go right back to Genesis um, chapter 2, right at the start, you, you can read, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So can you see the, the connection that I made there? In this moment, <laughs> in this image, we see this face-to-face -face proximity, and in that, God breathes life into us. Today's talk is called Up Close and Personal. And I want to suggest to you that ever since that moment, regardless of what's happened along the way, God still longs to be up close and personal with each of us, with you. And so as we start, I want to ask you a question um, are you close? So, you know, say, for example, if I was chatting um, to you about a member of your family, a relative, and I said, oh, are you close? You would know exactly what I was asking, wouldn't you? I would be asking, do you see each other often? Are you in touch? Um, do you know what's going on for each other? Do you celebrate together? Do you, do you cry together? Are you close? And so right now, as you reflect on, on, on your relationship with Jesus, I want to ask you that question. Are you close then? And I don't know how you feel about that. It might be that you've never really thought about God as somebody who you could be close to in that kind of relational way. Certainly for myself, I remember growing up, um, I grew up in, going to a church and, and I've kind of always had a bit of a belief or a, or a faith in God. But for me, it was very much, I saw him as somebody up there, you know, holy and powerful, but not close, not a personal relationship. And that, that idea that God could be close to me like that, I only, really, I only really came across that as an adult. 
Um, that was a new concept for me. And maybe that's a new concept for you right now. That's where you're at. For some of you, though, um, as I asked that question, are you close? You might, you, you might think differently. You might think, well, there, there was a time when I was close, but, but stuff's happened that's sort of put a bit of distance between me and God. Maybe a difficult experience that you went through, and it's left you feeling angry or disillusioned or uncertain. Others of you, um, you might think, because of something that you have done, that, that you've put a bit of distance between God and you. God probably needs a bit of time to cool off from me. I need to kind of go away perhaps and, and get myself sorted out a little bit before God would ever want to get close to me. Perhaps that's how you feel. Or for others of us, it might, that, that question might leave you just with a bit of a niggling sense of guilt um, because some of us, we know that we probably should spend more time with Jesus, but the busyness of life just keeps cramming it out. And you feel a bit like, you know, when a relative, do you ever get that thing where a relative calls you and like, a relative calls you up and says, oh, when you get a minute, would you be able to call Auntie Mildred? Because, you know, she's really lonely and she says you haven't called in a while and you, you feel, oh yeah, I probably should call her. What I don't want to do is stir up that kind of emotion about you and Jesus today. Um, I don't want to appeal, you know, up here sort of wagging my finger and saying, oh, isn't it about time you got close to Jesus because he said you have, he hasn't heard from you in a while. I don't want to really emphasize what you should be doing or what you ought to be doing or appeal to your sense of duty. I'd rather appeal to the desires of your heart. And so perhaps a better question would be not, are you close, but do you want to be close? And I realize that might seem like a, an obvious question, you know, do you want to be close to Jesus? Of course. But I believe it's a, a surprisingly incisive question if you just allow it to rest on you personally for a moment. Right now, for you as an individual, what do you really want for your life? Do you want to get closer to him? A little while ago, there was this advert on the telly it reminded me of this. It, it started off, it was like a close-up picture of this um, a couple, and they were like crammed together really close on a bus or on an on a, on a underground train. And you could tell that as they were sort of like so close, they were quite enjoying that sort of moment of intimacy. There was a bit of a connection between the two of them. And then the punchline of the advert was that then the next shot, you saw the whole carriage, and you saw that actually they were the only two people on the carriage. Um, and that they were kind of wedged together like that, not because they'd been forced together by the crowd, but because they actually wanted to be. And I thought, oh, that's a great picture. And I tried to find that advert and I failed. Um, so I ended up messaging a friend of mine who works in advertising and uh, he's a really, he's total atheist, um, but he knows what I do for a living. And so when I asked him, he said, to, he sent me a message, are you using this clip as an allegory of how bringing God intimately into your life is a choice you make as opposed to something you are forced into because circumstances demand it? And, <laughs> I was a bit crestfallen. I thought it was quite a profound observation that I've made, but it's clearly quite obvious. So I replied to him, your mind is wasted in advertising. Join us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but of course, he'd realized exactly the point that I was trying to make. When we're here on a Sunday, all crammed in here like this with the buzz and the worship and the atmosphere, sometimes it feels, I don't know about you, but it feels closer to connect, easier to connect with God. But I'm not talking about this experience so much as the as the day-to-day. -day. When you're just in life, when it's just you and Jesus, do you, do you want to be closer to him in those times? Do you want to deepen your personal connection with him? And, and only you can make that decision. I can't persuade you to do it. But what I can do, um, and what I'm going to do, is introduce you to a person who's really helped me process for myself. A person called John, 
who is one of Jesus' disciples and the author of one of the accounts of, of Jesus' life, um, together with Luke and Matthew and Mark. Um, and one of the really cool things about having these four stories of Jesus' life in the Bible is that whilst they all essentially tell the same story, each one emphasizes particular aspects of Jesus' character. And for, for John's gospel, the thing that I love about it most is that I think it's easily the most personal account of Jesus' story. And one of the things that John sort of wants to, it feels like he wants to get across to us is that, is that he was kind of a real close friend of Jesus, potentially his favorite. Um, he points out that even amongst the disciples, he was one of three with James and Peter who, who got to be there at some of the really key moments in the story. At the last supper, he just drops in there. By the way, I was the one sat next to Jesus, you know, leaning into him, in fact. And a lot of scholars assume that John was actually the only disciple not to abandon Jesus at the cross. And in fact, the person who, who Jesus um, entrusted to, to, to look after his mother after he'd gone. So, you know, a way of, of, of looking at John's gospel is that it was Jesus' biography written by potentially his best friend or one of his best friends. When it comes to knowing Jesus, John, he really, really got it in a way more than any of us in this room. And the thing that he stresses time and time again is that connection with Jesus is everything. Here's some examples. In, in chapter 11, he, he tells us how Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. In chapter 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. If you eat, me, if you eat of that bread, you'll never be hungry. In chapter 4, he said, whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty. Jesus said um, later on in chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. And, you know, those verses, you might be familiar with those words. They're pretty famous. But um, as I was reading them the other day, it occurred to me that I think I'm familiar with them theologically, but I think I've overlooked them a little bit personally. Because those phrases are actually dynamite. They're, they're revolutionary and, and, and they're controversial in, in both past and present culture. Because Jesus, in those words, was essentially saying, you know, if you want to get close to God, you have to, you have to come to me. You can't get close to God by keeping rules. He said in chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's them that bear witness about me. You can only get closer to God by getting closer to me, said Jesus. And so if you this morning, if you are in that place where, you know, you're trying to figure out how you can build your relationship with God, I would really encourage you to read this book, uh, John's Gospel, because I think it just takes you on this journey um, from, from the first encounter where Jesus calls his disciples, the story unfolds, and you gradually get to watch it, the, like the penny drop as it dawns on these disciples exactly who this person that they're following is. And a bit like, you know, if you're watching a, a really good, um, like a DVD box set, like a TV series, you know the way the plot sort of builds until the end of season finale where you get all the like, big plot reveals and the twists. Um, I think in John's gospel it's similar. And that, that, that end of season finale is the Last Supper where Jesus sits down with these guys who are, who are now his very dear friends. And he just opens it up and, and, and drops these bombshells on them. So, for example, at one point in the Last Supper, he says, in chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And, and, and this sort of clearly left the disciples reeling. Um, Philip, one of, the, one, of the, one of them sort of exposes his confusion by just blurting out this silly question. And Jesus clarifies, whoever has seen me has seen the father. And then he, and then he adds, you know, I am in the father and the father is in me. In other words, Jesus was telling them, if you know, you know me, you know God the Father, well, we're one. And then he drops another bombshell on them while they're still reeling. He tells them that he's going away. But he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And he continues, you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And then finally he reassures them, in that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. So this intimacy here, it's kind of reached a whole new level. This is beyond up close and personal. This is Jesus promising literally to be in them and for them to be in him. And it's kind of a bit mind-boggling, that language. Um, and from the way that the be- disciples behaved over the next 48 hours, if you read the story, you can tell those words didn't really fully sink in. They didn't fully get it at the time. And I guess it's no wonder, really. I was thinking, you know, like you can imagine them doing a bit of a debrief after the Lord's Supper. Um, they would have been like, what was he on about? All that talk of us being in him and, and him being in us. And, and then I think he said that he's in the Father as well. So that must mean that if the Father's in him and he's in us, then the Father must be in us as well. And then like, yeah. And then I think he said the Holy Spirit's in us as well. So you can tell it was, you know, it would have been confusing, especially as you kind of get the impression over the course of the story that the disciples aren't exactly the sharpest tools in the box, especially Peter. I think he probably had to go and have a lie down after this whole thing. But I think, I was trying to think of a way of illustrating what Jesus was talking about. And I think the most helpful thing that I could think of was, you know, like a, a shirt button. Um, that's, that's got like four little holes in it. Um, now, when you're sewing a button like that on, you know, you, 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 could, you could kind of like, you, sometimes people do it like a little cross, sometimes people do it like a little equal sign. Personally, I'm not a very neat sewer, so here's an example of a button sewn by me. Um, you, can, <laughs> you can see, like, neatness is not the priority for me, it's just making sure that thing is on there, sure and tight. So I'm stitching every hole to every hole. And I think um, John's gospel, in a way, is telling the story of how the button got stitched in his life. Um, so, so say, um, I'll, I'll just illustrate this here. We're going old school today. So we've got a button here. And say um, the four holes represent the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then, and then in this case, this is, so this is John. Let's say this is John down here. Okay. So f- first of all, Jesus, Jesus called, called the disciples. So he, he, he made that connection. He said, follow me. And then, you know, if you read in chapter one, you see how how, how the, the, the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus. And, and, and Jesus constantly talked through the gospel about how he was doing what the Father was telling him. And you see, John got to see this intimate connection between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And he, and he kind of watched as this happened. And then, 
And then eventually Jesus starts to, to explain to them that, that actually he wants them to be in all of them and in connection with them. He, he, says, he says, I'm in you and you're in me and, and I'm going to go away, but the, but the spirit, he's going to come and be in you. And through that, you'll be connected to the Father. And, and as you read through the gospel, there's all these statements just seem to just stitch this thing on tighter and tighter and tighter. And of course, the incredible thing about this story is that, is that this down here, this is all of us. The incredible thing is that, is that that depth and strength of relationship, that's what we're being invited into with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because the power of the cross, the power of Jesus' um, sacrifice and his resurrection means that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, unbreakable bonds of grace are formed between us and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. With a bond of love that's, that's far stronger than any mistakes that you may have made in your life, the cross of Jesus is the thing that makes us worthy to come into this, to get close, to be sewn in and stitched into that circle of relationship. It allows that first thread to be sewn and it, and it opens up the possibility of, of, of every moment that we spend from then on in his presence, adding more and more stitches and sewing the thing on tighter. And for, so for you and me, it, it, where, it doesn't really matter sitting here right now where you're at with God at the moment. Whether your relationship feels like a button that's becoming a bit loose, even if it's sort of hanging by a single thread, even if the thing's just on the floor, that's no reason to stay away because he still wants to be closer to you. He's full of grace and he's ready and he's waiting with a needle in his hand, ready to start sewing that connection back in. So if you feel far from God, know that it's, it's, it's not because God has drifted away from you. He's always ready to get close. And, and I'm just going to try something um, just to demonstrate this practically, really. Um, what, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pause for a few seconds and I just encourage all of you, just privately, just take a moment, maybe close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that, and just open up your heart and just invite Jesus to come and connect with you right now. Just ask if, in particular, if there's anything that, that he wants to say to you, invite him to do that. Let's just pause for a second and do that right now. And so, you're back in the room. So, just out of interest, we won't do anything beyond this, but just out of interest, if you, in, that, in the last few seconds, if you did feel a bit of a connection with Jesus, or if you felt him sort of say anything to you, just pop your hands up, would that be all right, if people could just do that? Let's just, isn't that let's just reflect on that for a second, because if that's real, if that's what's just happened, that's actually incredible, isn't, isn't it? When, we just stopped for just a few seconds and the king of the universe was ready to connect with people all around the room. I saw hands going up all around the room. And the thing is, this is what he does 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's always ready. He's always open to connect with everybody who wants to. You know, like we think Google these days is impressive, but actually God's amazing. And the thing to me is, it, bearing all of that in mind, it makes no sense to me that that I don't choose to engage with him more than I do. 
You know, can you imagine if your boss came to have a word with you and at work and you said, oh, not now, um, I'm busy. I'll, I'll come to you when I am ready. You probably wouldn't speak to your boss like that. Um, but when I look at myself and Jesus, I fear that that's sometimes the way I am with him. And yet the amazing thing is that he still wants to be with me, even if it's on my terms. Like, a little while ago, I was, I was getting ready um, to go to work. Uh, I work here. And um, it was in the middle of a really busy time at church. And so um, I, I decided I would, I would just get, get out of the house as early as I could um, so that I'd get here an hour before everybody else and have a bit of time to just get everything sorted out and sort of like present um, the, the facade of somebody who was vaguely competent. And I, I sort of could have stopped maybe before I set, left the house and had a bit of time with, with my Bible, praying, but I just thought today I'm too busy. And so I'm circling, cycling to work and my mind is whizzing with all the things I've got to do. Um, and then I just began to feel this sense that God was urging me to spend some time with him. And, um, and I felt like he was sort of urging me to, to not spend that hour getting my to-do list sorted out, but instead to just go into the prayer room that we've got and just be close to him. And um, I can't really emphasize quite how much work I had to do that day. It was super busy. And so I was sort of praying like, God, have you not seen my to-do list? And by the way, the stuff that I'm doing is for you. So how about you just let me get on with it and then we'll have a chat when I've got time. But it wasn't really a conversation, but I just, this persistent urge just kept coming to me, like he was getting in my face. And so I'm really embarrassed to admit what I did. Um, I sort of decided to make a bit of a bargain with God. Uh, I, had, I had some music on in my headphones, and the music that I was listening to was a totally random playlist. It wasn't my music. I had no idea what song was coming next. And I was like, Lord, if it's that important that I should not do this, but do that instead, if you want me to come and pray... Um, then in the next song, could you kind of like, you know, give me a message? Um, by the way, this is not a model that I would prescribe. <laughs> this is no way to speak to Jesus. This was immature. Um, this was just rude. But all I experienced was God's grace. The track finished. I was waiting for the next song to come on. And um, um, boom, boom, boom. Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer was the next song. <laughs> You know, and it says, you know the chorus, take my hand, we'll make it, I swear. Whoa, living on a prayer like this. I say, I was laughing, but then I was just started crying and I was cycling. And, um, and you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cynical person. Um, so if you're a cynical person, I know you'll be thinking, you can't prove that that was God. And I, and I can't, um, I can't prove it to you. But what I can say is that I just know, I just know that was God. And by the time I got here, I found myself just dashing into the prayer room, falling at the foot of the cross that's in there, tears um, streaming down my face. And that was about six months ago that happened. And, and if you ask me how the day went after that, the thing is, I, I can't really tell you. It was just another day in the end. Stuff happened. Maybe I was, you know, got stuff done. Maybe I didn't. But the thing that I can tell you all about was that time in the room with Jesus because it was so vivid. It's, it's just impressed on my mind. Those are the moments, those face-to-face -face moments of intimacy with Jesus where he breathes life into us like he did to Adam. And I love John's gospel because I think it captures those moments so vividly. It reminds us that intimacy with him 
is more important than productivity for him, or anything else for that matter. And you'll have noticed that, you know, we're coming towards the end of this, and I haven't really talked about, you know, doing, getting practical, doing stuff for Jesus. I haven't talked about being generous or being compassionate and all that stuff. Not because that's not important. That's a vital part of being a Jesus follower. But the thing is, I think all of that stuff, all of it flows out of first getting up close and personal with him. That's the key. So, assuming that you do kind of want to get closer to Jesus, um, the final question to ask really is, so what's stopping me? What's stopping me from getting closer to him? Um, it could be anything. It could be, you know, your phone or your hobbies or whatever. Like maybe for you, like me, in, in my story, it's just the general busyness of life. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to learn the lesson that I learned that day. Um, to just, when you feel that urge, when you look at your Bible and you feel as though maybe God's drawing you to spend some time with it, follow it. Be obedient to that urge. Maybe consider putting some time with God in the diary if that's going to help. Perhaps for you, the thing that gets in the way is just stuff. It's just, you know, your brain is focused on all the time on, on, on that thing that you need or that, that deadline that you need to work to or that project that you need to get finished before you can. And you think, once I get past that deadline, then I'll really have some time to invest in my relationship with God. And if that's where you're at, I would say, you know, there will always be the next thing. There will always be more stuff. There will always be the next deadline. The time to start is, is, is now, if you want to put that first. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a relationship, a particular relationship. You're going through an intense patch, and, and it's taking up your, all of your headspace, and it's leaving no time for Jesus. Or maybe the feelings and emotions that come with that, or some particular circumstance in your life, those sort of emotions are, are, are dominating your headspace and not leaving any time left for, for Jesus. If that's you, then... I would encourage to just flip that whole thing by taking those emotions to him rather than allowing them to push you away from him. And if you look at Jesus, he did this with the father in his relationship with him. When, when he was under the most amount of pressure, when he was feeling the most amount of stress, he took it to the father and it built and strengthened their relationships. So whatever it is really that has the power to prevent us from coming close to him, we can flip it around by taking those issues to him and remind ourselves that our need to get closer to Jesus is, uh, is greater than our need for anything else. And to emphasize that, I'm just going to finish now um, with some words from Jesus, from John's gospel, and from the message version of the Bible. And it's, it's at the very end of that um, Lord's Supper account that I talked about. So if you're here this t today and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, then just so at, before we read this, remember these are the words of your Savior and, and, and they describe the connection that he longs to have with you. If you are somebody who's here, who, who, who's yet to, to choose to follow Jesus, then I'd really encourage you to listen to this because um, this could change the way you, you see God. Because, you know, you may think um, that God... It's kind of, you know, maybe you think he's angry with you. Maybe he thinks he's got this big list of things that he wants you to change about your life. But, but what this is, as, is, as he comes to the end of his speech he, to the disciples, he starts to pray. And he prays first for the disciples, and then he prays for those who are yet to come. In other words, for you and me. This is Jesus' prayer for us. 
and it reveals what he wants first and foremost for our life. It's from um, John 17. Jesus said, I'm, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us, that the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave to them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. They'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me. And you love them in the same way you loved me.